Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, you search us and you know us. You know our needs. We ask you to speak to us this morning. Give us the ability to hear, to listen, to understand, to trust the Bible and to obey it, to find confidence and hope and peace in you alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What I love about the Psalms is that they are real. There's pain and emotions shared in them. And in this Psalm, King David is in a difficult situation and he's being real about it. He's being transparent. And what's also amazing about the Psalms is that they not only resonate with the real pains and emotions of life, but they help us realign ourselves towards a biblical perspective. They remind us of who our God is. And they urge us to trust in him no matter what we are going through. We aren't exactly sure what the cause of David's distress is in this psalm. Some think that it's related to a famine in the land. And so the people were blaming David because he was their king. Some think that this psalm was written when Saul was pursuing David. Or even could be connected in some way to Psalm 3, where David's son Absalom was rebelling and trying to overtake the kingdom. And that's very possible because there are some verbal links that point back to Psalm 3. And one of the most obvious links is the fact that David talks about sleep in both of these psalms. Psalm 4 is often called the evening psalm, where David prayed a prayer, a prayer of trust to God at the close of a long and trouble-filled day. And so with that link to Psalm 3, Psalm 3 was considered a morning prayer and Psalm 4 an evening prayer. But we aren't really sure when all this is happening. 
All we know is that David is in some form of distress and he's seeking God's help. The header of our psalm says this, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Remember, the psalms are not only prayers, but they're also songs. And and this psalm has instructions for the one who led the music. As the congregation sang this psalm, there was supposed to be some stringed instruments playing in the background. Probably not the electric guitar, um, but maybe a harp, maybe the lyre. Another thing about the psalms is that there's many genres There are psalms of praise, psalms of lament, hymns, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of confidence, psalms of remembrance, wisdom psalms, and royal psalms. And Psalm 4 could be classified in two different ways. It could be a psalm of lament because David says, answer me when I call, O God. But very quickly, it becomes a psalm of confidence. We see David's confidence build as the psalm progresses. And so for those of you who are taking notes, I've separated this psalm into four different sections. In verse 1, we see the confident call. There's this urgent plea with God to help him in his distress. David cries out to the Lord. The confident call. In verse 2, we see the convicting counsel. David addresses the people who are causing him this distress. The convicting counsel. In verses 3 to 5, we see the compassionate correction. Surprisingly, David is kind in his response to his enemies. And he gives them this advice that would not only solve his problems, but that would help them. We see the compassionate correction. And then in verses 6 to 8, the comforting conclusion. We have David's final expression of his security in God. The comforting conclusion. Uh, But as we study through this psalm, according to that four-point outline, what's important about this psalm is not the outline. What's really important is what happens to David as he prays in this psalm. What happens... That he changes. David goes from distress to a point of peaceful trust in God. And so the main point, what I hope you see in the text, is this because the Lord hears his people when they pray, we can wait on him with confidence and sleep in peace. Because the Lord hears his people when they pray, we can wait on him with confidence and sleep in peace. All right, so let's look at the first section, the confident call. Who do you turn to when things get difficult? When you're falsely accused? What do you do? How do you react? Who do you go to first? I think most of us can agree that we often go to close friends seeking sympathy. This is not what David did. Instead of going to his friends for sympathy or even trying to seek out revenge on his own, 
David turns to God. Look at verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David goes to the Lord first. He prays to God in his distress, and he grounds that prayer in three things. In God's righteousness, in God's faithfulness in the past, and in God's mercy. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David doesn't go to God on the basis of his own personal goodness or his personal achievements, but only upon the Lord's perfect righteousness that was given to him by faith. David remembers that God is a righteous God who keeps his commitments to his people. And then he also reminds himself that God has been there for him in the past. You have given me relief when I was in distress. The Hebrew word for distress means a tight place. And the the word for relief means an open place. And so a better translation of this verse would be, you have made a space for me when I was in a narrow place. You have made a space for me when I was in a narrow place. Have you been in situations where you felt like you were in a narrow place? All cramped up and claustrophobic. This idea reminds me of when I watched the movie Sanctum. I don't recommend watching the movie Sanctum, but it reminds me of when I watched the movie Sanctum. This movie is about underwater cave divers that find one of the most beautiful, least accessible cave systems under the earth. And this tropical storm comes and it traps them within this cave system. And they're trying to survive and find their way out And just the way that this movie is filmed, the the lighting is low, the water is rising, and as those people start to look claustrophobic, you start to feel claustrophobic. And the whole time, I was just hoping that, that these people would get relief, that they would finally get to a part in the cave where there was an open, wide open space. David had moments like this in his life. As, as we think about the life of David, there were many times in his life where, where it hung in the balance. And every time God rescued him out of his troubles. God had provided a way out in the past. He reminded himself of God's past faithfulness. One of the best ways to strengthen your faith when everything is crumbling beneath your feet is to look back at how God has already been faithful. Whenever I'm tempted to feel like God's not going to provide for me and my family, I remember back to a time when Diane and I were missionaries. And our support, our financial support was extremely low. I don't think we had enough money in our account to be able to pay for the gas to get back where we were staying. And we called out to the Lord to provide. And shortly after, we were handed a check. And it was a significant amount of money that not only paid for the gas, but paid for many things. 
Whenever I'm tempted to think that the Lord won't provide, I remember that he made a space for us when we were in a narrow place. David grounded his prayer in God's righteousness and God's past faithfulness and also his mercy. Look, he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He pleaded with God to hear his prayer and be gracious. David confidently called out to God when he was in a narrow place. The confident call. We've seen the confident call. Now let's look at the convicting counsel. Look at verse 2. David says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. This is the most interesting point of the psalm because there are these men who weren't honoring David. They were doing evil things. He says that they were loving vain words and seeking after lies. And David speaks to them in a kind way. He shows them grace. He encourages them to repent and he desires for them to truly see the error of their ways because they are wrong. They are wrong, and David is right in this instance. And these men here, most likely David, is speaking to some of the leaders of the nation who had influence, and they were turning against him. And so David counsels them, and he gives them these rhetorical questions. He asks, how long? How long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Keep in mind, David was the king, the Lord's anointed king. And these Israelites had the obligation to honor him. But the opposite is happening. Instead of honoring him, they are bringing shame David isn't being selfish or prideful here. All of Israel knew that God had chosen David to be their king. The prophet Samuel had anointed David to be king. David didn't choose the honor for himself. He wasn't seeking it, but it was given to him because he was chosen. The Lord removed Saul from the throne and he made this young shepherd boy king over all of Israel. And it was their responsibility to honor the king. Think back to Psalm 2. This is just like Psalm 2, verse 2, where the kings and the rulers set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. David is saying, how long will you reject God's chosen king? Also, the word for honor here is the same word used in Psalm 3 for glory. David writes in Psalm 3, verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, my honor, and the lifter of my head. David realized that God was the sole source of his glory and honor. These leaders were not only rejecting God's anointed king, but they were rejecting God himself. David counsels these leaders with these how long questions, and he puts their sin right before them. How long are you going to reject what the Lord has set up? And then he moves on to correct them. 
I want you to notice here that David's attitude is different than we see him in other psalms. Other psalms, David is praying that the Lord would pour out his unmerciful wrath on his enemies. But not here. We have seen the confident call, the convicting counsel. Now in verses 3 to 5, we see the compassionate correction. He graciously tells the people something they need to know in verse 3, and then what they need to do in verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 3. But know, he's saying, this is the knowledge you must have, like it or not, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David says, what you need to know is that the Lord has set me apart for himself. David had a very special relationship with God. As the king of Israel, he was considered the son of God on earth. And David mentions this special relationship to these leaders. He says, know, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. That word godly here is singular. It's referring to one person, the king of Israel, the one set apart by God himself. And because God has set apart David, God listens to David when he calls. God listens to David when he prays. David is saying, are you sure you want to resist the Lord's anointed? Is this really what you want to do? Because just a reminder, the Lord, the one true God, hears me when I call to him. Know this. That's what David is saying in verse 3. He tells them what they should know. And now in verses 4 and 5, he tells them what they should do. In verse 4, he tells them to repent. Be angry and do not sin. That word for be angry here means to be shaken or to tremble. If you realize the danger of walking away from God is, then you should shake with fear. It's terrifying to face the judgment of God. David is telling them to tremble. And then he says, do not sin. Repent. If you fear God in this way, you will stop your sinful actions. And then he tells them to ponder in their own hearts, on their beds, and be silent. In our words, we would say, take a chill pill. In a way, David is actually sending his enemies to their rooms to think about what they've done. Instead of hardening their hearts, he's asking them to search them. David's hope is that the Lord would convict these men of their sin as they lay on their beds at night and that they would repent. That they would take some time in the privacy of their bedrooms 
and think about what is really going on, to be silent before the Lord. Nighttime has a way of convicting our consciences. It's also important to notice here that David pleads with God before he does this. David goes to God before he tells his enemies to repent. That's great wisdom. We need to speak with God before we speak to men. Charles Spurgeon said this, Surely we should all speak the more boldly to men if we had constant converse with God. He who dares to face his maker will not tremble before the sons of men. So prayer should be our first response. Before we do anything, prayer should be our first response. That's what David does. And then he talks to his enemies. He tells them to tremble and not sin, to think quietly on their beds about what they're doing. And then lastly, he tells them to offer right sacrifices and put their trust in the Lord. We're tempted to think that whatever we do, as long as we're sincere about it, will be accepted by God. But David is saying, don't bypass what God has commanded. Don't mess with what God has set up. You're rejecting the king and you're also worshiping the wrong way. He says, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. No matter what you think you should do or if you see a disconnect between what God tells you to do and what you think should be done, you must trust the Lord and obey his commands. David is saying, even if I'm not the king that you want, even if I'm not the king I should be, offer right sacrifices. Worship God as he has commanded. Follow his commandments and trust in him. And as they recognize their sin, they should offer right sacrifices with genuine hearts of worship. This is not a call to do religious things, but a call to humility, humility before the Lord, to put their trust in him and worship him sincerely from the heart. And ultimately, only God could bring about this type of heart change. We've seen the confident call the convicting counsel, the compassionate correction, and lastly, the comforting conclusion. Look at verse six. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David wasn't good enough for the people. God's chosen king wasn't good enough for them. The people were unhappy, and so they cry out, who will show us some good? Because David isn't. And then those words, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. That comes from the priestly blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. And so there's uncertainty whether the many in verse 6 are the ones who say that, or it's David is the one saying it. The quotations continue in the ESV translation, which would make the passage say that the people don't think that the blessing is found in loyalty to God's anointed King David. It would mean that they were calling into question the Lord's governing of his people, saying, who will show us some good? 
Lord, you have said to lift up the light of your face upon us, but we don't see it. So that's one way of viewing this verse. Another way would be seeing that David is saying this in his prayer, which is what we see in the NIV and the NASB translations. If David is saying it, he's reminding the people that God himself is the greatest blessing. I personally think that David is the one who is saying it. He is reminding the many that to have the light of God's face upon you is the greatest good. To have the Lord's face shine upon us brings joy. And then in verse 7, we see that for the many, their idea of blessing is an abundance of wine and grain. That's what they want. And if they don't have it, then God's not being good to them. But David's conclusion is very different. He writes in verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You have put more joy in my heart was the result of this prayer. Before his circumstances even changed, David was a changed man. His distress had transformed into confidence and he experienced great joy. He says that the joy that God had given him is greater than when his enemies have all the grain and wine they could ever want. David says, you have put more joy in my heart. God doesn't just give us stuff. He gives us himself. And he himself is the source of all true joy. David can sleep and rejoice without an abundance of wine and grain. He's in danger and yet has joy and a peaceful night's rest. The peace and security that God offers is our spiritual melatonin. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. In this psalm, David is calling out to the God of his righteousness. He's calling out to the one who had delivered him before, to the one who had set him apart, the one who hears him. There are no earthly comforts. There are no human companions. There are no difficult circumstances that can ruin the deep relationship that David has with his God. Is David distressed in this passage? Yeah. He's really distressed. But in his distress, he is trusting. The beauty of the Psalms is that they express the sorrows and cares and concerns that we all have. They don't sugarcoat the world or the pains that we face in this life. They don't tell us to be content and have peace without ignoring the issues that we face. But they also demonstrate a believing confidence that is grounded in truth and promises. David's conclusion is grounded on God and his truth. And that's David's comforting conclusion. 
He doesn't deny that terrible things are happening to him and they won't go away magically. At the end of this psalm, David's prayer is still unanswered. He's still in a crisis and yet he resolves to go to sleep in peace. No fears or anxieties are gonna keep him up at night. The promise and hope of this psalm isn't that your trial or distress will end, but that the Lord will give you peace and even joy in the midst of it. Let's look at a couple observations and applications from this text. First, this psalm tells us about our King, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the heart and soul of all the psalms. He sang the psalms as an Israelite, and on his lips they all achieved meaning and significance beyond our comprehension. There's not a single psalm where you will not find something and learn about our Messiah, King Jesus. This psalm, Psalm 4, tells us about him. Think about this. What does this psalm describe? It describes a king who is not getting the honor due to his name. It describes a king who knows who he is, who knows his commission is from God himself. It describes a king who constantly relies on God and has full confidence in God's deliverance of him. It describes a king that speaks to his enemies, persuading them to align with himself or to suffer the consequences. It doesn't take much to see the parallels here. Jesus experienced the same difficulties in his earthly ministry. He expressed these same emotions of confidence during times of great distress. He gave the same counsel to the people to trust in the Lord's anointed. He had the same status of God's chosen king and anointed one, the son of God. And as the storm surged and the waves crashed into the sides of the boat, Jesus slept in peace. His honor was turned to shame at the cross. And it was in the resurrection that God the Father delivered God the Son from his deepest distress by renewing his life and exalting him above every name. This psalm tells us about our King, Jesus Christ. Second, this psalm tells us that God is good no matter what we experience in life. We often think that God is good when we are happy. And if we were just to survey Facebook and Instagram, we would come to the conclusion that God is good when we get what we want. God is good when we get a new job. God is good when we get a new car, when we get the thing that we've been desiring. God is good when we have an abundance of grain and wine. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, praise the Lord for the blessings that he pours out on his people. He deserves praise for that. But do we fall into the temptation of only thinking that God is good when there is an abundance of wine and grain? Is God still good if the diagnosis is bad? 
Is God still good if our children decide to walk away from him? David teaches us here that God is good no matter what we experience in this life. You may be experiencing heart-wrenching difficulties within your family. But is God not good then? Has he not put joy in your hearts that exceeds the joy of mankind when their grain and wine abound? In our distress, in our heartaches, church, let's remember God's goodness. Let us say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Let us say like David, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Is not our treasure laid up in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, where neither thieves can break in or steal? Is that not true? Look beyond our trials and the earthly experiences and see that God is good no matter what we're going through. And then thirdly, this psalm tells us that our hope should be grounded on God's promises. What are God's promises to us? In light of this psalm, a better question could be, what has God promised the king? Our hope is in the king. And because whatever belongs to the king, it belongs to his people. We couldn't ask for a better king. We couldn't ask for better promises to come to us through our king. We find promises in and through Jesus Christ. And so church, where is our king? Where is he right now in this moment? He's seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. And so what does that mean for us? That means that we have the promise of the forgiveness of sin because Christ was raised from the dead for our justification. We have the promise that God hears the king who is seated at God's right hand, and so we will be heard. We have the promise of a resurrected body because there is a resurrected body seated at the right hand of God. We have the promise of eternal life because Jesus said that those who believe in him will have eternal life. And we have the promise of the removal of every tear, every fear, every sadness, because our joy will be made complete in Christ. Aren't these wonderful promises? We have amazing promises through our King, Jesus Christ. And yet also, do we not have reason to lament and to cry out? 
to express the difficulties and sadness and pains in life. Yes, of course we do. But because we are believers in Christ, no matter the trials and sufferings we are facing, we all share the same hope because we all share the same one King, Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with him. Let us cry out to God with the words from David. Answer us when we call, O God of our righteousness. You have opened a space for us when we were in a narrow place. Be gracious to us and hear our prayer. We know that you have set apart the godly for yourself. The Lord hears when we call to him. We have put our trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in our hearts than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, we will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, make us dwell in safety. This must be our prayer. This must be our confidence. If you know Jesus Christ, then this rest that David talks about is ours. Jesus left us with his peace. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Hope and trust in the goodness of God is found in our King and in his promises. And so if you're here this morning and you've not believed in Jesus, then you cannot claim these promises. And so I encourage you this morning, like David counseled these men in this passage, to tremble and to repent how long will you reject the only hope that you have in this life? Believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Trust in the Lord and you will be able to cling to all these amazing promises. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you suffering? Are you in distress? Is your heart troubled and anxious? Then cry out to the Lord, knowing that if you belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ, he hears you when you call to him. And as you wait, wait with confidence, remembering his righteousness, his past faithfulness, and his mercy. And as you lie down on your bed tonight, as you find yourself in a narrow place, you can lie down and sleep in peace, knowing that while he may seem to be slow to respond, his timing is perfect. He loves you. And he chose you. And by his mighty and sovereign hand, he will allow you to lie down in safety. Because the Lord hears his people when they pray, we can wait on him with confidence and sleep in peace. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you are good no matter what we experience in this life. You have given us so many promises in and through our King, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you hear us because you hear him. Because you have delivered him, we know and trust that you will deliver us. We ask that in the midst of our trials and sadness, that you would help us to trust and have confidence by those promises that you've given us through the King. Help us to lie down and sleep in peace tonight, knowing that we are as safe as we ever could be. We pray this in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.